Today on Loose Headcanon, we're looking for a particular object, an object everyone desires, but maybe you shouldn't care about. What's in that briefcase that shines so brightly? What's this rabbit's foot thing everyone's talking about? And why do people spend so much time thinking about these mysterious objects? I'm Spencer Sands, a paleontologist on the hunt for the elusive intercostal clavicle of a brontosaurus. And I'm Brendan Neistat, a newspaper mogul obsessed with the cryptically named sled he lost as a child. And, and this, this is, is Loose Headcanon. Head stories left for us to figure out by the storytellers. We aren't trying to tear open plot holes or dismiss somebody else's theories to brandish our own. We're just trying to find the stories that make the most sense within the stories that we love. The history of storytelling has many examples of heroic quests in search of magical totems and iconic knickknacks. In the film era, the term MacGuffin was coined, and with the help of director Alfred Hitchcock, entered the vernacular. Hitchcock's films often relied on some mysterious object to start the story, but the director often insisted that the prize wasn't the point. Instead, these MacGuffins further the plot and give the characters a goal. Whether or not the goal is important whatsoever is up to the storyteller. Some films make a point of obscuring the MacGuffin in order to drive focus to the protagonists and create an aura of mystery. But if the MacGuffin is too mysterious, it's easy to start speculating. What is that thing? The MacGuffin as like a, a notion kind of enters the vernacular by way of Alfred Hitchcock, and uh, he apparently used the same sort of uh, colloquial definition a couple of different times in describing what a MacGuffin was. Mm -hmm. So this is from Wikipedia, so you know it's true. Hitchcock explained the term MacGuffin in a 1939 lecture at Columbia University in New York. It might be a Scottish name, taken from a story about two men on a train. One man says, what's that package up there in the baggage rack? The other answers, oh, that's a MacGuffin. The first one asks, what's a MacGuffin? Well, the other man says, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. The first man says, but there's no lions in the Scottish Highlands. And the other one answers, well then, that's no MacGuffin. So you see that a MacGuffin is actually nothing at all. And apparently he used this again when he was interviewed later. And so this this sort of idea keeps coming up. And it's a really phenomenal not answer to a question. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I love that he had that anecdote just on hand, like the, the little humorous story that explains it all. He just, it was at the ready. And no matter when he was being interviewed, like he was ready. What is Alfred Hitchcock? Um, I think a MacGuffin, so besides that not definition, a MacGuffin's a little tricky to pin down. And there's sort of dueling concepts about what a MacGuffin might be. Well, maybe the classic MacGuffin is the Maltese Falcon, right? That comes up wherever you read about MacGuffins. And the Maltese Falcon is this statue of a bird and that everybody has, like, big designs on. But ultimately, w what is it about this statue that is so important to the plot? And one of the definitions for the notion uh, of MacGuffin that I came across sort of argued that you could replace that MacGuffin with something else and it wouldn't really change the story. So if the Maltese Falcon became a diamond... Right? Does that impact the story greatly? I'd argue that in that case, it it doesn't impact it greatly. I mean, everybody would still want to get a diamond because the you know the goal of everybody in the story, at least the villainous characters, they want to get a hold of it because it's worth a lot of money. I'd argue that you know 
you do want to build up a certain mystique around the object that you want everybody to desire. And so that's one thing that substituting for like a generic object wouldn't have like just a diamond. It would have to be another like special diamond, right? You're right. That's an important qualification. Um, it has to be something to sort of equal value. But effectively, a MacGuffin is a plot point that is semi-undefined or left somewhat mysterious, yet at the same time is pushing the plot forward. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's the pretty hardline traditional Hitchcock definition of MacGuffin, but there are, there are a few more looser definitions of the term too, and George Lucas has a looser definition. He thinks that the MacGuffin is kind of what everybody is just searching for, and it seems like his definition includes things, objects that can be a little more abstract or ill-defined or something that is a little bit more specific, like a particular character, if everyone is trying to go after this one character. There's, uh, he, he, he also has an opposing idea in that he thinks that the audience should care about what the thing is that everybody's trying to get to. And I can kind of understand where he's coming from on that because I think that audiences want to be invested. And I think that making, making the, the point of the story around an object of great importance or a character of great importance just heightens the drama. Um, I agree. And so the, the George Lucas definition that I kind of like initially sort of recoiled, not recoiled, but like struggled with was the idea that R2-D2 and the Death Star plans are a MacGuffin in A New Hope. As I thought about it more, I guess they kind of are, because when do we find out what R2 is carrying? Uh, it tells you in the opening crawl that the Death Star plans are the thing, right? But you don't really see the Death Star until later, or understand its power until later. So maybe it's half a MacGuffin? <laughs> um, but do we... I mean, we know that R2 is carrying something. Do we know that it's the plans right away? Um, I think that it infers that they are, because Darth Vader is questioning the crew, and he says, what have you done with those plans? Okay, that's true. You might, you might not know at the very beginning when Leia is in the shadows with the little card, or when the escape pod gets jettisoned, but you, you find out pretty quickly. So I take it back. I, I still am not sure that I'm on board with that as a MacGuffin. I think that... Um, I actually, uh, oh, please, continue. Well, I was just going to say, I think the first time that this sort of occurred to me as like a film thing, as like a storytelling tool that like left a lot up to us, was I think, I think you and I, when we were younger, we went and saw uh, Mission Impossible 3. Mm-hmm. And that I remember walking away from that and being so impressed by this idea. And again, like such a, a limited filmic knowledge at that point, but like being so impressed by, wait a minute, that whole movie, we didn't know what the rabbit's foot was because the rabbit's foot is what everybody's after in Mission Impossible 3. But at the end of the film, the good guys get it. And that's as much as we know about it, that it was gotten by good guys. Yeah. And, you know, it, it literally just exists. There's, you know, they build up a little bit of a story around it. You know that it's something that could be maybe dangerous. Um, you know, there is world damaging peril that is hinted at. But you never find out exactly, precisely what this thing is. It is left to your imagination. Uh, which I think is really, really cool. And there's this sort of like notion in, in scary stuff that things that we get to imagine are way scarier than the actuality of whatever a director puts in front of us or a storyteller mm -hmm. puts in front of us, right? So if you tell me the scariest thing in the world is behind that door, like I, I can see in my mind what the scariest thing in the world is, but that doesn't look the same for me as it does for my wife or for you or for anybody 
and so because it because it's undefined, it becomes individually defined, and by being individually defined, it's absolutely terrifying. And I think that's really interesting. So I know for me, uh, I'm really afraid of anything that has anything to do with nuclear anything. So mm-hmm. the rabbit's foot was obviously something related to nuclear weapons. Obviously, I think that it gives it gives the audience or the people who are listening to a story a certain amount of agency. It lets you read some bring something to the story uh, maybe a little bit more than you normally would which is you know why headcanon is so much fun and i think what's with the MacGuffin, the director isn't just like kind of leaving room for us he's they're basically saying like you know here imagine this you figure it out right yeah there's a there's a little gap there's a little gap there in the story and you get to you know you, you can choose to fill it with whatever you want exactly uh for you what was the rabbit's foot in mi3 yeah i probably i probably assumed that it was some kind of weapon. I'm not sure if it was chemical or biological. I think that I tend towards certain types of neurological agents. Those are pretty scary to me. I think that I, I totally dig your interpretation too. I think that, uh, you know, something nuclear, something even bigger and worse than, you know, current nuclear technology, you know, that could totally be that too. I guess for me, it was probably like launch codes or some sort of mm-hmm. visible material. I don't know, but it was definitely, I can tell you this much. It's definitely nuclear according to my brain. So again, I, I just think it's such a wonderful storytelling tool. It's a, it's a great way to, to kind of inadvertently give the audience buy-in and that's, that's fun. What are some other important ones for you? Like, do you feel like R2-D2 is a MacGuffin? Let's talk, let's talk George Lucas and um, Lucas Arts films. Is R2-D2 a MacGuffin? Okay, see, I think that R2-D2 kind of aligns more with Yves Lavandier's uh, definition of a MacGuffin. He thinks that it's all about secret that motivates the antagonist. So the, the, the bad guys want to keep something under wraps. And the, the example that I read on the Wikipedia page is North by Northwest, where Mr. Thornhill, who's played by Cary Grant, there's a case of mistaken identity, and the bad guys want to go after him because they think that, they ha- that he has something that's potentially damaging to them. And so I think that R2-D2 slots in really nicely with that in that the Death Star plans are inside R2-D2 and I think that he's aware that there is a mission which is why he's so motivated but the the Death Star plans are something that the Empire doesn't want out there and so that's why R2-D2 becomes very important to the story. I guess if I knew less about the Death Star going into the film I'd sort of like it would fit with my own definition of MacGuffin better Mm -hmm. but I 100% see where you're coming from. Again, it's so hard for me to like try to think about Star Wars without, you know, all of the extra nonsense that is in my brain related to having seen it so many times and read the books and the comics and the video games and all of that stuff. So like trying to think about what was my initial watch of A New Hope? I don't know. I have no idea. It's really hard to, you know, divorce all of the other material from just the core story of the first movie. So let's go with uh, another George Lucas well, uh, a Lucas-Spielberg joint. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is the Lost Ark a MacGuffin? I think George Lucas would think of it that way, and I'm I'm inclined to agree with him a little bit. It does not fit the hardline Hitchcock definition because you do care about it because it has, it has an actual cultural mystique around it, being a biblical holy relic. But at the same time, I think that you, you know, you could replace it with something else. It just would have to be something of equal or greater value. You couldn't replace that with like a can of 7-Up and have the story still make sense. You would need to replace it with something else that was somewhat supernatural in power and that was threatening so that when the Nazis got a hold of it, potentially scary things could happen. But, you know, it is 
it is something that drives the story and everybody wants to get it. And I think if you're looking at it from just an overview perspective, I, I would say that it's mostly a MacGuffin. So I guess for me, I keep wanting, I want to know less about the object for it to really like fit into my schema of MacGuffin. And I'm, I'm feeling like if maybe we didn't see people's faces melt, I might feel more like it was a MacGuffin. If I did not understand the implications of the Ark of the Covenant, I might, do you know what I'm saying? I, under, I totally get that. I just think that because it is a magical item, you're never really going to know exactly how it works. And it's just this, it's just this scary thing that is mysterious. And I think that that's, that's, that has to do a lot with what makes a good MacGuffin. It has some kind of mystique or backstory built up around it, either, you know, culturally or it's given to you in the movie, but you don't, you don't entirely know how it works. Um, you don't entirely know every single little detail about it. The Lost Ark, they take the lid off, it's shot, you know, it, it blows up a bunch of Nazis, it's great. But you, I feel like the mystique is maintained. It still is something that you don't fully understand or comprehend. And by the end of the story, it's completely removed from basically our plane of existence and put into a giant warehouse. Um, and I think that that is an interesting thing to have happen to a MacGuffin. Similarly, like the Maltese Falcon that you brought up earlier, it, it, turns, up, it turns up as a fake. Um, they scratch the paint off of the surface and there's no jewels underneath and everybody's really upset. So everybody was running around, you know, trying to get this one object when in the end it's just taken out of circulation entirely. It's been so long since I read Dashiell Hammett. I went through like a Dashiell Hammett phase where like all I wanted to read was noir. I guess I always suspected that the the object was either like filled with something. I don't know. Is is that explicitly stated that it was supposed to be jeweled underneath the paint? Yeah, I think that in the story they say that it was constructed as a tribute to the Pope from the Knights Templar who were given the island of Malta. And so they put together this small jewel encrusted falcon statue that before it could reach the Pope mysteriously vanished. Gotcha. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. Are there any other big... Oh, there is a big one. There's one that we should absolutely talk about, which uh, the wonderful um, Matt Gorley's uh, I Was There Too talked about a little bit. What is in Marcellus Wallace's briefcase in Pulp Fiction? Everybody wants to know. Yeah. And um, I highly encourage you to listen if you have not listened to um, I Was There Too. It's a really, really tremendous podcast. But that episode in particular plays with that idea a lot. And I, I'll. this is me admitting something. Don't tell anybody, okay? Uh, I've not seen Pulp Fiction in its entirety. <laughs> Your secret's safe with me and whoever listens to this show. Yeah, so we're good. Probably no one. Um, <laughs> self-esteem. But the idea is really big. And there's all these like complicated theories like that, the, that he's got a Band-Aid on the back of his neck and that that is... Mm-hmm tied to some sort of like uh spiritualism where like that is where the soul is removed and so the briefcase must have his soul in it um i think on like a more like base like sort of like less uh fantastical probably drugs or jewels or nazi gold or whatever um, some sort of like tangibly valuable thing i don't know it could be i mean it could be anything right and ultimately does it matter no, I don't think that it does. Uh, it's it's something for characters to to meet and their paths to cross over. And I think that in in that case, Tarantino wants you to wonder, and wants you to 
you know, to, to bring your own interpretation to it. There, there isn't anything that's explicitly said in the film about what it is. You just see, you see the glow, you see how people react to it. So other than that, I don't think that it's important. And I think that, that that's a pure MacGuffin. I think that those are. I think that that's why that's why the really hardcore definition of MacGuffin is it's it's hard to come by because not every film has the room to create an object like that. Some have to rely on things that are happening in our everyday life or infer that it's you know that's an is an object like the Holy Grail or the Ark in order to get people invested a lot faster. But it's cool in a movie like this that you could have an object that is, you know, maybe uh, a little surreal. Pulp Fiction has moments that are a little cartoony or a little surreal, and this plays into that. So you brought up the Holy Grail, which is kind of like, well, not the earliest, I'm sure, but like a very, like, uh, an old school example of a MacGuffin. Like the idea that King Arthur and his knights are after this thing, whose importance is unmeasurable. Why? I don't know. It's a big deal. It's an important relic, right? And it's 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 central to the Arthurian legends that they go find this thing. But are we ever really told why that's important? I think that there are a lot of different ideas of why the Holy Grail is important. You know, you, we we know we know why it's important. It's because it was the the cup sure. of Christ. We know it's like cultural significance. Of course, mm-hmm. it's the it's the chalice that Jesus drank from the Last Supper, right? And that later caught his blood. Did I add that second part? Uh, I am unsure of that second part. <laughs> or if you've read a Dan Brown novel, Sangreal, <laughs> you know, get into yeah, all literally, of that. Yeah, literally the, 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 the cup of Christ being the, the descendant of Christ, right? I think mm-hmm. I think that that's what they talk about. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like, so, yes, we understand the cultural significance and the importance of them finding the grail, but we don't know what the outcome of the grail is and what is the grail going to, like, do for them as a society, as a culture, as a band. It is something for them to be chasing after, to be in search of, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting when you get characters that are to some extent a MacGuffin, at least for part of the film. Like, I feel like in The Fifth Element, as we kind of struggle to understand uh, what uh, Lelou is, did I say her name correctly? Yeah, I think so. I think it's Lelou. Lelou. Um, as As we're trying to understand, like, what she is and why she is significant, you know, she sort of, she sort of fills a similar role. Uh, should we dive into the TV tropes a little bit? Sure. Because that is a really fun article. Uh, and it gives some sort of interesting variations on the MacGuffin. I, I really like the idea that it's easy to find the first time, but then it's not every other subsequent one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just all these takes on it. The idea that the MacGuffin can you know, find its way to the main character accidentally or that the MacGuffin remains something that is being chased after or that the MacGuffin is switching hands throughout the course of the film. There's just all of these different ways that the, this item, this thing, this plot point can be used over and over and over again. I think uh, what that article that article ha- brought, brought up the idea of the MacGuffin um, as a trope where, like in the Maltese Falcon, everybody gets the object, but then they realize it's a fake. Um, and there's another there's another MacGuffin type plot where somebody, while you know, in the in the heat of the moment, they accidentally break the MacGuffin, and so, <laughs> you know, so they have to figure out what to do then. Uh, and then, according to TV trips, you also have the classic egg MacGuffin, wherein the MacGuffin is an egg. That's my favorite. <laughs> Which links you to a article entitled "Exactly What It Says on the Tin." <laughs> 
Good on them. It's pretty hard to argue with. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fun, because it can be anything. I think for me, the ones that I gravitate towards and the ones that I, I find the most interesting as a consumer of media are the ones that are very nebulous. Again, that first experience with the rabbit's foot was so, it was so intriguing to me. And I didn't actually need an answer, and I think that's what was so fun about having a MacGuffin like that. You're right. I think that there are a lot of impulses um, in Hollywood driving people to leave no corner unnailed down. But it is it is a lot of fun to upset that norm. And, you know, in a movie where you would expect some James Bondian earth-ending superweapon, to leave that to leave that space blank and mysterious totally goes against the grain. Yeah, I feel like um and I I say this as a member of this of the community but I, like, I think nerd culture, to a certain extent, kind of abhors a MacGuffin. Uh, I think there's such a, a desire these days for completionism. And, you know, like, we want to know everything about everything, right? No, totally. I think that vague, vague answers um, are not tolerated anymore. You want to be able to have a Memory Alpha article for every single little detail <laughs> um, and an explanation for everything. I'm more of a Wikipedia man myself, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there just isn't there isn't that same desire to left to leave it undefined. Oh, um, another example that I I sort of struggled with was the idea that uh, Genesis in Wrath of Khan is a MacGuffin. Yeah, you know what I I don't I don't think so. You're right. It doesn't really click for me because you know we don't initially know exactly what it is, mm-hmm. but m- midway through the movie. We know exactly what it is, and like yeah. its implications are very, very straightforward. I don't know. I guess I guess my definition may be a little bit on the more narrow end, right? I think I want I want to know as little about it as possible for me to really like to to leave me room as a consumer to figure it out. I I think that my my definition may be too narrow. Like my desire for it to really be like the rabbit's foot probably precludes too many things yeah i think that i think that uh lucas's definition might be you know wildly too broad because then all of a sudden it becomes any object in any quest is the MacGuffin, and i don't know that that's you know that that's it but i do think that the 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 sort of hitchcockian idea of having to pass some sort of a purity test is is a little a little too strict i think that there are objects in films that drive the plot that are like darn close but you know maybe maybe it couldn't be replaced with anything else because too many elements in the story rely on it being scary or destructive in a certain way right i agree so in talking about the crystal skull a movie that i am very fast to defend at every single turn so uh, the idea that the crystal skull becomes a macguffin and that uh so I'm, I'm reading a, an uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, article here from uh, 2011 where Spielberg is quoted as saying, I sympathize with people who didn't like the MacGuffin because I never liked the MacGuffin. I actually, I kind of do like the MacGuffin. I don't know. That's, again, I, I find myself living in the same way that I have to defend the prequels. I, I had a good time with the Crystal Skull, so. Yeah, the movie, I think that the movie has issues, but, you know, it's every time that I've rewatched it, some of that uh, internet-related negativity melts away, and I'm like, oh yeah, there are actually things that I like about this movie. This is this is not that bad. Uh, you know, people like to complain too much. So, do you think that the MacGuffin in that film is not successful? Well, again, I would question whether or not that's a true MacGuffin because I think that it's pretty obvious what it is. 
at what point is it obvious what it is? Don't you get to see it pretty early in the movie, uh, you know, as soon as the Russians break into Area 51? Yes, you do, but I don't think we fully understand the implications of it until the, until really the very end of the film. That's true, um, but, you know, we know that it couldn't be the skull of a crocodile. I, I don't know that. I'm not a herpetologist. And it was, it was found at Area 51, um, so it had to be something alien-ish. Unless Area 51 is not about, because, again, Area 51 in that film is actually just the storage facility for which all of the crazy supernatural things in that world end up, right? No, yeah, and I think that we see the, we see the Lost Ark in there at one point. Yeah, so it's like Area 51, our natural inclination is to go, oh, aliens, but then they kind of throw us for a loop when it's like, oh, no, it's just all this super stuff. Oh, but wait, it's aliens again. I don't... It's where the government like dumps all its MacGuffins. It's, yeah, it's, it's the government MacGuffin depository. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's such an interesting like tool for for storytelling that i i don't know if it's underutilized but certainly i think i think i'm always going to i'm always going to want filmmakers and storytellers and tv people to give me more to tell me more Mm -hmm. or to i mean to sorry to give me more of that to tell me less right if it if it doesn't further the plot if we can keep the plot going without knowing let me imagine yeah, but I think, you know, to get back to your point from earlier, I think that that is, that is something that, that occurs less and less. Uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of mainstream audiences, the, the idea is that they need to be uh, spoon-fed a little bit more. And even though we have the, kind of the golden age of television going on right now that really expects you to get invested and know all of the little tiny details in order to understand what's going on in the story, I still think that movies, because they're a shorter art form on the whole, uh, want to give you more information. That's just the inclination there. That's true. I think it's such a weird transition because once upon a time, a movie was like the long form and a 22-minute TV show was the short form. But now a TV show is, you know, it's a 24-hour long movie and a movie's just two hours. And I, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, how did movies become the shorter art form? Yeah, it's very peculiar to me. Um, I, I I can argue about episodic television all day and why I think it's so important and so underutilized, but that's an argument for another day. Mm-hmm. Are there any other like major bullet point key MacGuffins that we should go into? Oh, uh, I, I would like to talk Chekhov's gun for a little bit. Oh, interesting. Um, I love uh, the, the premise of Chekhov's gun is that if there's a gun put on stage in the first act before this play is done that gun needs to go off right and to a certain extent the way i understand and enjoy a macguffin is it kind of shouldn't right you're you're building the expectation of this if there's a gun somebody's going to get shot right yeah and that's that's the classic uh chekhovian theater notion Uh, again this is a this is a, a notion formulated by anton chekhov the the famous playwright um but I kind of like when a when a MacGuffin is almost in violation of that. Where like again to go back to the rabbit's foot, like we know that it's bad, and it could go off, but it never does, and thus the day is saved. Right? Anything that creates a tension that sort of defies Chekhov's gun, I think, is cool. That's a really good point. You know, Chekhov's gun in and of itself isn't a MacGuffin, but I think that there is a lot of opportunity there to narratively subvert. The idea that, you know, certain parts of a story need to work out a certain way um, by leaving those areas blank, by inferring instead of telling directly. Yeah, exactly. Um, To let us 
to let us kind of feel the tension. Um, my favorite example of Chekhov's gun and sort of its subversion is the uh, Guillermo del Toro film, uh, The Devil's Backbone, right? It has the like single most eerie image of that unexploded bomb planted in the ground in the center of an orphanage, and it's ticking, and it's ticking, and it it's ticking, and you know that it's going to explode at some time. So it sets up this very Chekhovian notion that, oh, that's going to go off, and it's going to be bad. And unless I'm totally forgetting what happens in The Devil's Backbone, I don't believe it does. I actually bought the movie on Blu-ray this week, so I will have to revisit it and remind myself what happens. I love that image so much. It's so it's so eerie and dis ah it's it's upsetting because there's this bomb and it's sitting there and it's ready to explode. Yep. And you know that it's going to because it's ticking. So I mean, if so, we were to if we were to come up with our own definition of MacGuffin, I wonder I wonder where it would be on the spectrum of of definitions because it seems like you know we would also want to include that the object creates a certain amount of tension in the story it's not just oh, it has to. a goal it's not just something to get to but it could also be something in in a story where you know we might we might not see where it comes from we might not know exactly what it is but it creates uh you know a different dynamic as uh you know if it weren't there i think that i take the a pretty like hard line like i understand the argument for r2d2 and the ark of the covenant but for me i want it to be more open-ended that's where i am mm-hmm. and I, again i think i might be being too narrow with it but it, it's those it's those places where it's the most satisfying for me where it's a mystery that remains unsolved where the gun doesn't go off where i get to sit and imagine what it would be like if it had or what the gun was actually loaded with. Again, I'm really stuck on this Chekhov's gun metaphor, but <laughs> that's what I want. What is it for you? I, like, I think the Pulp Fiction example is perfect, right? We get no clarity on that, and there's so much room to explore as a viewer. Totally, and I really admire that, but I don't think that it's for every single story. And so I think, for me, I want, I want the definition of MacGuffin to include things that might be a little bit more psychological in nature. Like we talked about the idea that, you know, information or a secret would be something that could be a MacGuffin um, where... Oh, I think know, a secret's you, the best MacGuffin. You, you, you imagine whatever the secret is and certain characters know and they're motivated or f- afraid of that secret and certain characters don't know um, and they may be left in the Yeah, dark. like the idea that if that dossier gets out, my career's over. You know, like what's in the dossier? And whatever you're imagining mm-hmm. is 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 personally the worst for you, right? Whatever that sort of undefined monster is, is so much scarier than whatever can be drawn. Unless HG, HG uh, I'm sorry, H.R. Giger drew it, in which case it is the scariest it can be. But like, 100%. But, I mean, to an extent, like, the, the first Alien movie works because, I mean, it works for a trillion reasons, but we don't get to be super intimate with that monster, we get these little glimpses, and it pops out of somebody's chest and runs away. And I don't know, whatever you're thinking it is, is so much worse than the actuality of it. I mean, let's be real. That is a pretty scary monster, but it works. It works because parts of it are obscured. It takes a very long time for the full thing to be revealed. Well, like in the movie The Thing, do we ever need to actually see the shapeshifter, or just knowing that it is? Isn't that enough? I think that knowing, you know, knowing that it can be all of these different dangerous things makes it scary. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like I like any opportunity that uh, a creator of stories gives to the audience to make their own story. 
and thus this podcast. But um, I, I think it's important because it's 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 creators giving their audience credit. That's something that is uh, you know exceedingly rare. Uh, like we like we said, you know, except for maybe in TV where they you know they are. Uh, dependent on you paying. Uh, should we talk about how MacGuffins can go bad? Uh, sure. Do you have some good examples? Starbuck and BSG, the reboot, because we never write, mm. like we never really figure out what her deal is. I don't know. Let's not even go into that. I don't want to be negative. Thank you for listening. If you disagree, have alternate headcanons, a headcanon you'd like us to talk about, or just want to say hi, drop us a line at looseheadcanonpod at gmail.com. We want to thank our awesome producer and engineer, Boki. Our theme music is by Checkmate, so huge thanks to him. For more of his music, check out soundcloud.com slash checkmate underscore official. We also want to thank you for listening. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and please, above all else, tell your friends to check us out. 